Welcome to this episode of Profess Hers, a podcast about movies, music, history, pop culture, current events, and literature, all discussed through the perspective of women's issues and feminism. I'm Allegra, and I 100% am not a happy housewife. Oh, yeah, that's true. For sure. I'm happy, and I'm a happy wife, but I'm not a happy (laughs) housewife. I'm Misty, and the trope that I least identify with would be Bridezilla. Yeah, you really just strike me as like, eh, blue jeans, flip-flops, I don't care. We uh, walked back up the aisle to forever in blue jeans. Yeah, okay, so I was right about you all along. Yes. Yeah, Misty <laughs> would have gotten married in flip-flops. Oh, if I could have, for sure. Yeah, so she was. she's not... My mom frowned upon that. Yeah, momzilla is a trope <laughs> too, I guess, probably. Today we're going to talk about tropes, and we're going to start... By talking about what tropes are, because it's a little bit of a weird word. So what is a trope, Allegra? English teacher, Allegra. I'm so excited to tell you. Okay, so a trope is really just a word that describes something that is a common pattern in storytelling. A trope can apply to characters, which is how we're going to discuss them today. But it can also apply to plots or single events in a plot. So it's just a common pattern. And really, authors and creators use them as a shortcut, which is how they become problematic when we talk about characters. So if I see this thing happening, I, I can, know this I can, background. I can imply all of the rest of it. Exactly. Yes. Okay. So some tropes that women or female characters fall into, and when we say fall into, we mean they... It's really like a rut in the road. So they're super common and they're problematic. Uh, Crazy exes, nagging wives, happy housewife, uh, bombshell, beta bitch, which is the best friend with the attitude, uh, bridezilla. It's a simplistic representation that perpetuates notions. And the reason they're problematic is because... Well, we're going to, for many reasons, but they perpetuate a lot of false notions and they also perpetuate that women are single note, flat characters. Well, and it's used to kind of like fill in the gray area, right? Right, exactly. So I don't have to sketch a nuanced character if I rely on this. Yeah. So some non-character tropes you might be familiar with, um, walking away from an explosion without turning around. That's how you convey immediately to the audience this person is real hardcore. Yep. If a person gets fired and they carry their possessions out in a banker's box, yes, that's kind of sad sack imagery. If you go grocery shopping, you always have a baguette. Have you ever seen that on a TV show? Yep. They all have baguettes. Um, if you're in a horror movie with a flashlight, what's going to happen, Missy? Oh, the batteries are going to die. The batteries are going to die. So again, these are storytelling devices and they serve a lot of purposes. They help us connect things. They help us immediately identify if we see a person with a banker's box, we know they just got fired. If we see you carrying a bag and a baguette is sticking out of it, we know you just went to the grocery store. And then in horror movies, of course, we're building suspense and playing with expectations. So you're supposed to know when you see the flashlight that the batteries are going to die at some point. Well, and if you're interested in this, there's a website called tvtropes.org. And there's just all of them there. They're all there. You can just fall down a rabbit hole. That that website is sometimes annoying to me, but yes. But it's there. It's, it's a there. good place to start. Yeah. So tropes can make things predictable and flat, uh, but they can, again, also just be shortcuts to give us a bunch of background information and apply a lot of stuff. But they can also perpetuate a lot of false notions. And just like Missy, just like you said, I mean... I don't have to sketch in gray area. I don't have to create a full dynamic rich character if I can put them in a specific outfit or give them a specific pre-made set of character traits. 
you're immediately going to say that's who that is. That's what she's like. Even if it's unconscious. Right. You will just know. Yes. That that's what that person is. And there are hurtful racial tropes as well. The first one I can think of is the, the angry black woman. Women sometimes get angry. I'm not sure if you know that. We have a full range of human emotions. Women are people. But it's hurtful if a, if a woman of color gets angry to be dismissed as just a right angry black woman or to be seen as one dimensional when you aren't as to be seen as that's who you are as opposed to you're having a legitimate response to something right so again tropes create and perpetuate these notions about women in popular culture so a movie like a hallmark movie whether it's a hallmark christmas movie or not a movie about a woman who leaves her big city life for a small town and because she's in love that movie is problematic not because it would be problematic for you, Misty, to do those things. If you, Misty, living in a big city with a big career, which you are, met a man in a small town and moved away to live with him in his lumberyard and his Christmas tree farm, okay? Our podcast would end. It would, but that would not be problematic right. because you're a human person making those choices. The portrayal is problematic because that is the constant narrative and the movie is showing you, the movie is valuing love and small town values over careers, influence, and living in a city. Right. So every text, a movie, a book, whatever, every text values and upholds certain things. They promote certain ideas. And the characters who get rewarded are supposed to be the characters we want to be like. Does that make sense? It does. So... If that were one movie about a person who moved away for, to a small town. Or it would just a, be one movie. Or an occasional movie. Fine. Great. Wonderful. But if it's the only movie, if it's the only story, if it's the only narrative, or if it's one of only 10 narratives that we get over and over and over again, it tells us that's what we should value or that we're weird and wrong. Because we're outside of that. Right. Yes. Cultural texts value, promote, and reward certain ideas, beliefs, and behaviors. And the more those ideas get repeated, the more they become part of our culture and personalities. Well, and the more they become, what's the nice way to say this? They become subliminal. Yeah. So I'm consuming this media. Maybe I don't even understand that I'm absorbing this message, but I am. And that's how you end up saying like, oh, I don't want to say it's insidious. When, that's what I was trying to avoid. <laughs> but I mean, that's when I talk about this just in my life, if I go to run around talking about if this I go to the time. movies and I say, you know, I don't really like the way the movie was promoting this idea, then someone's like, it just happened in a movie. It's fine. Don't overthink it. Then you say, I teach English. <laughs> and we ruin everything, as we have previously discussed. Yes. But it, it is insidious and it will at some point change the way that we see and think about things. And if we don't check it occasionally, then it kind of grows out of control. So the first thing I want to talk to you about is women in refrigerators. Are you aware of this? I am, but okay. probably not to a huge extent. Okay. So Green Lantern is a comic book character. I'm aware. Okay. He's a superhero. Yes. He's much better in the comics than he is in the movies. Movie versions of him are typically not good. That's beside the point. There is a comic in which he discovers that his girlfriend has been killed and left for him, kind of chopped up, in a refrigerator. That's disturbing. And again, if that were the only instance of something happening, it would just be, that's violent and disturbing. But Gail Simone, who is a female comic book writer, 
Uh, she wrote Birds of Prey, which is not something that Misty knows about, but is a very important comic book series. She noticed the trend that women in comics were being depowered. So if they had superpowers, they were being stripped of their powers. They were being assaulted and mutilated in service of a narrative for men to make the male characters... It's almost a sacrificial dri- lamb. Yes, driven to get revenge or to give them a you know edgy backstory. So in 1999, she started a website that listed over 100 comics that featured this trope, women who lose their power or are brutally attacked only as a plot point to develop a male character. What's the website? Women in Refrigerators. Okay, I guess that's easy. So often the images are sexualized. Women are exposed and prone. Their bodies are drawn in multiple panels. And sometimes they're over-visualized. So there are like pages and pages of these images of the attacks that the women go through, whereas other attacks or fight scenes are depicted in one or two panels. In the case of... So it's sensationalized to sensationalize it. Yes. The thought is, as you read it, you're emotionally drawn to sympathy for the male character whose woman is being ripped from him as opposed to outrage at what's happening to the woman because she's almost an object right so in the case of stephanie brown who's also batgirl this is so extreme that people refer to this issue of the comic actually several issues of the comic that her attack spans people call it torture porn wow oftentimes the female characters are attacked in ways that like don't make any logical sense Because the female characters would have been powerful enough to stop the attack. Sometimes the female characters have their own superpowers or tools. Um, And often their their deaths are very trivial. And they're really, again, just a stop on the male hero journey. So the male character's hero's journey. This is the reason he's getting revenge or what drives him to do things. So newer comic books are a lot better about it. I mean, like Iron Man and Thor have both been portrayed by females in comic books now and there are birds of prey and lots of female featured comic book characters so it's a little different now uh, but it is an example of a trope and an example of why if it happened one time it would be something that happened but if it happens over and over and over and over and over again it's a narrative that gets put into our head that women serve as plot points for men or that women serve as motivators as opposed to being intrinsically valuable as characters. Yeah, as opposed to complex, nuanced, yes. full humans. Yes. Okay, so you want to get crazy? Sure. <laughs> I'm looking all over for you. I got to get out of here, Prano. I got a stage five clinger. Uh, I need more time. Did you hear what I just said to you? Stage five, virgin, clinger? Let's go. I'm going to start the car. I'm serious. Let's go. I don't think that you're appreciating the urgency here. Not only is she a virgin, she's totally off the reservation. I'm terrified of this broad. <laughs> here you are. Hey, Gloria, wow. The crazy trope, usually crazy ex, crazy ex-girlfriend, crazy ex-wife, or crazy, crazy stalker. Crazy stalker, right? Anytime a female character likes a male character more than he likes her. Right. She's crazy. Yes. It's an undermining way to make other people feel better about behavior that perhaps they're complicit in. And when I say that, I mean, if a lady's acting crazy, probably because someone did something that made her act crazy, that's making her act crazy. Yeah. And again, using the word crazy is way problematic. Right. But if a woman is acting in a way that people would describe as crazy. Right. 
It's in response to something. So craziness might be liking someone more than they like you. And oftentimes what happens is male characters mislead female characters about how much they like them. And then when they get whatever they want from the female character, it's like, ugh, why are you clinging on to me? So they're like calling 5,000 times in one day or texting 500 right. times. Contacting day. someone too much, misunderstanding someone's reactions to you. So thinking that, I mean, and this happens in real life. Sometimes you misinterpret niceness for flirting or vice versa. Demanding to know what went wrong can sometimes be a crazy behavior. Being too direct, not being direct enough. So being too direct, meaning being very forceful and aggressive, not yes. being direct enough, being what people call passive aggressive, playing games, playing mind games, jumping into bed too soon or not soon enough. Both of those are crazy traits. Uh, changing your mind is, makes you crazy. Did you know that, Missy? I did not. Okay, well, don't change your mind. Uh, or not changing your mind. So really, it sounds like once a woman has been labeled as crazy, there's kind of no way out of it. That's correct. Yes. So it's a box. It's a nice little box. Right. And it's a way, again, to say that whatever I did is normal and whatever you're doing is crazy. I've also sent Amy a relationship termination notice and changed my cell phone number and email address. What if she just comes over? She'll get lost. We no longer live at 2311 Los Robles. We now live at 311 Los Robles. You changed the address on the building? What about mail? Yeah, but no worries. I explained my predicament to our letter carrier. He was sympathetic. His exact words were, got your back, Jack. Bitches be crazy. <laughs> So when male characters stalk female characters, it's romantic. Right. When female characters do it, crazy, right? Yes. Okay. And again, the idea like changing your mind makes you crazy, but refusing to change your mind also makes you crazy. So I'm not even sure what we can do at this point to not be crazy. Craziness is anything and everything that the other person wants it to be because they have decided that you're crazy and I'm the default non-crazy one. Well, and I think a lot of this too is because most of our media is through a male perspective. Mm -hmm. We're using the male lens. Right. And so our protagonist is male. Right. We are supposed to identify with him. Mm -hmm. And so if there is a woman mm -hmm. who is at all making his life challenging, right. then we can put her in a little crazy box and then we don't have to validate her or look at her motivations. Right. And then we can just laugh at her. Yes. And devalue everything that she's saying and dismiss and say right. she's crazy. Most of the time we're not talking about actual mental illness. No. Which also we shouldn't refer to as crazy. Right. So here's some examples from things that Misty's never seen or heard of. I've heard of all of these. Okay. Good. I've seen one of them. Ooh, okay. I'm excited to know which one. So the show How I Met Your Mother. I've seen it. Okay. I don't think you can avoid this show. It's some, like always on. It is. It's like Every friends. time I get my tires changed, it's on. This show, some people say, is playing with tropes, playing on tropes. But the problem is that it's we are still supposed to be on Barney's side. Barney's the character played by Neil Patrick Harris. Yes. We're still supposed to think that he's cool. So even though it might be an attempt at satire, the the text, the show, wants us to be on Barney's side, which means it's problematic. Does that make sense? Yes. So Wendy the waitress, this is just one of, I don't know, hundreds of people that he has a one night stand with in the show. Wendy the waitress, he dumps her and she is totally mature, doesn't seem emotionally affected at all. Barney, I just want you to know I have no hard feelings. It wasn't the best idea for us to get involved. I hope we could still be friends. Mature human response. Right. He spends the entire episode convinced that because she was so cool, she must actually be secretly crazy trying to kill him with jealous rage. 
Wow. Gotta hand it to Wendy the waitress. That was very mature of her. She's gonna try to kill me. This is poisoned. What? You're being ridiculous. Yours is poisoned too. She's trying to kill me and everyone close to me. What? What are you talking about? Ted, look at the facts. I dump her and she says no hard feelings. She's a psycho. What other explanation is there? Because he is so amazing that she just could not break up with him right. that easily. And women who get broken up with never take rejection well. Are always going to be emotionally outlandish in his in his estimation. And it's in a, I mean, we are supposed to in the end kind of laugh at Barney. But we are also the whole time supposed to understand where he's coming from. So it's an example of when satire doesn't really do the job that it's supposed to. And it's kind of an example of people getting away with misogyny because they are pretending like it's satire. Because she's seen as the outlier. Right. Because most women would be crazy. Right. The fact exactly. that she's not crazy exactly. is weird. Right. All right. What's the next trip, Allegra? This would be the nagging wife. Don't you kid yourself. You're the one who rules this relationship. Oh, I rule the relationship. How do I rule the relationship? With fear. <laughs> I'm scared of you. Yeah. Mm. You're, you're scared of me. Yeah, I said yeah. it. And frankly, I'm a little scared that I said it. Oh, no, you are so full of crap. Not crap. Terror. Terror! Ooh, nagging wife. Sometimes call... Uh, and henpecking is a different but very closely related, so I'm just going to put them together. The nagging wife and the henpecking wife. And so these are wives that sometimes actually are abusive, verbally or physically, but they're very demanding and they tend to castigate, make fun of, tease their husbands. If you think about like women hitting men over the head with rolled up newspapers, that's henpecking. A nagging wife is someone who is constantly like, why aren't you doing this? Why aren't you doing that? Well, the implication there with nagging is that it would get done even if you didn't try to sound smart. Part of it is that we're supposed to laugh because whatever she's nagging you about is trivial compared to, you know, your real job and your real life. And your manly duties, right? I work all day. I have real tasks that really matter. And you're beating me up about cleaning out the gutters, right? So we're supposed to see it as funny because her tasks are trivial and his are substantial. The other problem is that it's supposed to be funny that the woman is running the household or calling the shots. There is an inherent joke that we are supposed to laugh at especially in like 50s and 60s yes. sitcoms, it's funny that the woman is in charge of something. And it's funny that the woman is bossing a man around. Not what she's doing is funny, but just the fact that she's doing it is funny. And both of those are problematic. Because taking care of things around the house is not trivial. The other thing is, it's not funny for a woman to run a household. Sometimes marriages work that way. So best example I can give you of this is Everybody Loves Raymond. Oh, I hate this show. You gave up the right to make decisions around here when you stopped taking any responsibility. You don't help me at all. You can't even wash a dish. Maybe I'd wash a dish if I didn't have to look at those repulsive curtains. <laughs> fine, fine. You be that way. But until you start helping out, I'm making all the decisions. What? Good night. But you, you can't do that. We're married. It's a two-way street. No, it's not. But what's weird is that the joke is always... Her bossing him around and him trivializing what she needs, whether it's an emotional need or a need to take care of a task. 
Me, I said help me. I don't say the name. <laughs> so you're just gonna sit there while I do all the work? I had the kids the whole morning. Because I was cleaning. Well, well stop it already. Ray, seriously? No. Get up and help me. No. Get up. No. Ray. Listen, you know what you don't understand? I work hard all day. I got a lot of stress. I come home and I'm... Have you seen the show? I, I've seen it, but not... Like, I didn't watch it. But I've seen an episode here or there. Yeah. I mean, the pro- I mean it was long-running, very popular uh, sitcom that just perpetuates this trope over and over again. Other sitcoms that do this, Peg Bundy, do you remember from Married oh, with Children? Yes. Okay. And, of course, Roseanne. Yes. Uh, I mean, she... She is a, I, I would argue, is a more multifaceted, nuanced character. But there are a lot of jokes where it's funny. I mean, where the joke is, haha, Dan would never get to decide what happens in the house. Right. And that's supposed to be the joke. There's a line where she says, I'm trying to put him in touch with his submissive side. Yeah. And again, but why? Why is it so funny if a man is submissive to his wife? Right. Yeah. So you can't be a nagging wife. Okay. That's a trope. Because it's unattractive. Nobody right. wants that. Got it. But we also have the happy housewife. Now, this is the ideal? Well, no. These are bad, too. Because okay. this is a personality-less, personality-free, bland idiot. Okay. Bland idiot. Nice. Bland idiot. is so, so, like, their whole personality is just housewife. Right. They don't have a favorite food. They don't have hobbies. They don't have anything else going on. It's just housewife. You're allowed to have a hobby, but... It, it should be related it's to the home. It's not a passion okay. or an interest, and hopefully it's related to homemaking. It's like sewing or perhaps playing cards. Um, so number one, it's insulting that you have to that women are in marriages are one or the other. You're a henpecking, nagging wife, or you're an idiot, bland idiot who's just happy no matter what. So are we kind of talking about like a Stepford wife here? Stepford wife, June Cleaver. Okay, yeah, yeah. So um, like the 1950s stereotype of what yeah, a housewife should be. Yeah, have you seen be. the movie The Help? Yes. Well, I've read the book. All those, all the all the white women in that movie are and the book are happy housewives. Okay. I love how you're like it's a book too. Yeah, it was a book first. Whatever movies you can watch. Just kidding. I do. I mean, I read like 50 books a year. I feel like you pick on me all the time for not <laughs> reading. Uh, I want to know how many movies you watch a year. Start counting that. Why? Because I, I mean, it's more than two, so I'm beating you. <laughs> um, so have you seen the show Big Love? I don't even know what that is. Get a TV. I have a TV. Okay, so Big Love was a HBO show. Okay, so is. is a show about a plural marriage. Okay. I'm not going to get too far in the show, but... Like a sister-wife situation? Yes. The husband's played by Bill Paxton, and he's got three wives, uh, played by Jeannie Triplehorn, Chloe Sevigny, and Jennifer Goodwin. Okay. So all four main characters, big actors. Yes. I think this is maybe before uh, Jennifer Goodwin became a, a well-known actor. But um, they, they all three of the wives have kids. They each have their own house, but they're all next door neighbors. And then their backyards are joined. Okay. And they're kind of secretly, plurally married. So one of them is his legal wife and the other two are neighbors. Okay. So to the like, public eye. It's not well-known in their community then. Right. So the thing about this show is lots of problems with having three wives, but he has three wives and they're distinctly different from each other. And in that way, 
That seems good. It's it is. It's very. It's almost a revelation because they have completely different personalities. They have. They treat him completely different. They all have different relationships with him. They have different parenting styles. They have different manners of dress. They have different approaches to housework. They have different approaches to yard work. One of them wants to further her education and goes back to college. One of them wants to be a member of the clergy in their church. So they have very diverse responses to being the wife of the same man. So it's very interesting in that way. It's a good show, just in terms of its drama and its storylines, it's good. But this show, I would say, does a good job of kind of destroying this happy housewife, nagging housewife binary. At all, all three of them- Because take, they're more sketched out. Right, they're fully developed. And I mean, he, he's the star of the show, but so are all three of them. And they have nuance. At some point in the show, each one of them is a happy housewife. At some point in the show, each one of them is nagging. At some point in the show, each one of them has their own career goals or their own wait, wait, wait. attachments. Like real life? Exactly, like real life. They're each a fully formed human person. The show gets listed, and so you mentioned the show TV Tropes earlier, or the yes. website TV Tropes. The show is listed on the TV Tropes page for Happy Housewife, but I think- But you think it's a satire? It's the. It's not a satire. It's just the opposite of a trope. He, They are all happy to be married to him, and they do all take care of the domestic tasks in their own homes, but they are not- One-dimensional. They're not one-dimensional, and they're not- played in opposition they're not foils of each other it's not like one's a happy housewife one's a nitpicker one's a nagging wife they're just which i think could be easy to do with exactly exactly it's exactly what we want media to do we want media to give us fully formed human characters there's my lecture about (laughs) big love who knew here on our feminist podcast that i would tell you about how good the plural (laughs) marriage tv show is but here I am. Let's talk about one of my favorite tropes, Misty. Okay. What's your favorite trope? The old maid. The old maid. Okay. Yeah. When you get to a certain age. What is that certain age, Allegra? Depends on your culture and society, but it's usually 30. It's weird and also played for laughs. It's funny that you're not married. You were an old maid then. I was. I didn't get married till I was 35. Um, You're lucky somebody wanted you. I know. <laughs> Past my expiration date. Who knew? So, of course, there's nothing wrong with a person who is single, who wants to be single, who wants to be single forever, who never wants to get married, a person who doesn't want to have children, or a person who, by the time they're 30, has not yet encountered the person they want to marry. Right. Nothing wrong with any of those things. But these Characters are typically portrayed as unlikable, undesirable, perhaps desperate. At some point, most of the time, they become desperate to catch a husband. Well, and it seems like a lot of these characters end up with like a, a fatal flaw. Yeah. What is it that makes them unmarriable? Yes. Right. What's wrong with her? Yes. Uh, sometimes this is the crazy old cat lady character in a show. And I still think we need to do a whole episode <laughs> on that. And it's it's often just played for laughs. Like her existence is funny. Uh, or sympathy. There's something wrong with them. Right. They're and always the best friend. Well, and there's no male counterpoint. Right. Exactly. I mean, at least with the like nagging wife, you could have the 
idiot husband. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to say man child husband, but sure. Either one. Yeah. Um, or you could have like the really stern father who has to be in control of everything. Yeah. I can't think of a male counterpoint to old maid. There isn't one. It's the counterpoint is luxurious bachelor. Right. The counterpoint <laughs> is the show two and a half men. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. L- living lives of ideal luxury, right? Living the dream. We can, you know, do whatever we want. Whereas Jackie from Roseanne is supposed to be this sad, depressing, funny character because she just can't catch a man. Have you seen Mad Men? I am, again, I'm aware of what it is. Okay. So there's an episode of Mad Men where Joan is scandalized because someone finds her driver's license. I can't remember if they show it to everyone or if they like make a copy. But everyone finds out that she's 31 and she is devastated that people learn she's 31 because she's not married. So like her her chances are gone. <laughs> right. The, the You could argue that the good thing about this show is that we are supposed to view this as being of its time. Right. But not a legitimate concern for our time. Right. So I don't think the show is arguing or making the point that she should be scandalized i think it's a little bit of social commentary about how problematic it is that a woman who's 31 who is a career woman who has a job that's meaningful is scandalized when people find out that she's not married when she's 31 right so i mean in that way it's displaying the trope but for benevolent purposes do you think that this trope still exists because i'm kind of not seeing it in modern shows i mean admittedly i watch few of them but I think like Sex in the City, they were all over 30, right? Right. I mean, you could make that argument. I think you'd have to watch more episodes than I've watched to make an argument on either side of it. Yeah. But they... Uh, for sure, but more they, than me. But they definitely have lots and lots and lots and lots of conversations about men. Well, I think like um, Parks and Rec. Sure. Yeah. Leslie Nope was definitely over 30. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I mean, eventually she gets married in the show, but it was never... It wasn't her. What was driving her character. Exactly. Exactly. Actually, she breaks up with him for her career for a while. Yes. So I think you're right. I think, and even, even Jackie's character on Roseanne, the longer the show went on, became kind of more developed. She got married and then I think she got divorced. She leaves an abusive uh, guy at one point. So, I mean, she, she, even though she is the trope and she is the butt of the joke for being single at her age. I think brings a little more nuance to it. And I think you're right. I don't think we would find it inherently funny for a woman to be over 30 and unmarried. So, I mean, I think there are still problems, but I think the old maid, old maid idea that you're expired or that you're there's something wrong with you. Uh, well, and that's a reflection of culture, right? Because yeah. our marriage age is being pushed up. Yes. People are marrying later. So right. it wouldn't be weird if I met somebody on the street that's 30 and not married. Yeah. And the other thing is that there are shows where unmarried adult women are the centerpiece of the show. So a show like Scandal. I mean, she has the, this ongoing dalliance with the president of the United States because that's real realistic. But I mean, she's an unmarried woman. She's definitely over 30 and she's the centerpiece of the show. I mean, the later seasons of Grey's Anatomy... I'm just going to sneak it in here everywhere I get. Um, But, I mean, again, in lots of ensemble shows, so shows like uh, Friends, even though Rachel has a nervous breakdown on her 30th birthday, so that's not really helping us. (laughs) Happy birthday, Grandma! 
their personal choices right and people shouldn't have to rationalize whether or not they want to get married whether or not they should get married at a certain point well, not married is not a personality on my well on my 30th birthday my sister as a total joke gave me the book how to catch a man how to keep a man <laughs> I think that's by, amazing i think it's by jaja gabor oh no yeah yeah do you still have that book maybe because i kind of want to read it it's probably it's pretty bad it, it didn't help me catch a man. <laughs> but, but can it, you keep one? But again, I think I think maybe a lot of the problem here is that male characters who are unmarried have never been portrayed as the butt of a joke and often are portrayed as living the dream. Right. No wife, no kids. That's the dream. Right. Exactly. It's really just this opportunity to scapegoat or to hate on uh, female characters and so it's like, are you an old maid or are you a bridezilla? Are you a nagging housewife or are you a happy housewife? You are one or the other. And both of them are bad. So another thing that annoys me, and this maybe is more in movies than TV, is when it ends on a wedding. Mm. I hate, hate when movies end on a wedding. A wedding is not an end. It's just not. <laughs> Well, it's, it's you've got everything you want. What else could you need, Missy? You got a man. I mean, you found out how to get a man, how to keep a man. Well, but you didn't, right? You just got him. But that's, you haven't kept him yet. That's the thing. Once you get the ring, you've trapped him for life. That is not true. <laughs> just so we're all clear, those rings they can come off. It's not a tattoo. Well, I mean, right? And a lot, a lot of movies end on weddings. And a I lot of, hate it so much. I mean, much. think about a movie like The Wedding Planner. I mean, a lot of movies are about women being obsessed with perfect weddings. And a lot of movies are obsessed with women getting married. That's the goal. And I think the goal should be happy partnership, not wedding. You can have a beautiful wedding and a terrible marriage. Yeah. And, and so I like it sometimes when shows or movies kind of twist this around and they... You plan a perfect wedding and you end up with like a wedding disaster, but then you're still happy because you're married. Yes. That's happened in Friends. That happened in Brooklyn Nine-Nine. You expect a perfect wedding and then weather or other things happen. When I think television has more of a leeway to do that. Yeah, because there's a next episode. Yes. Yeah. Whereas movies, I mean, there has to be an ending, right? Mm -hmm. I just don't want the ending to be a wedding. If you're going to have a wedding, put it in the middle. Yeah, and so I know you don't want me to bring up Grey's Anatomy again, but I'm going to do it anyway. So Josephine, this is a character on the show, is a is a doctor. She's a surgeon. She's getting married. She does not care. She's like you. 
Thanks. I mean, like, she doesn't care about the wedding itself. She's very excited about getting married. She's very excited about being married to her husband. She's very excited about even having a party and having all her friends there. But she doesn't care about flowers, cake, decor, theme. Cake was the only thing I cared colors. about. Colors. Right. She doesn't care about venues. She doesn't. Those things are not of interest to her. And she's like, if it's up to me, we go get married in the bar across the street from the hospital and invite everybody over and we have a great time. Which is how some people are. Some women, like you, would be happy to do that, right? Their moms are not happy. And so, so, you know, when you suggest that, it doesn't go over well. She has that perspective. And then there's a different character on the show, April, who is very into organizing and details and event planning. She loves weddings. She loves the romance and the drama and the decor. And so she plans their wedding for them. And she says... Instead of it being a gift to them, it's their gift to her because she's so excited to do it. And so, again, there are women like that as well, yes. right? It's a it's two approaches to the same thing. But moreover, the emphasis in the show is on the value of getting married to have a marriage as opposed to the value of getting married to, to have a like, wedding. Right, to check off the box, like, you know, achievement accomplished. I got the man. I'm not an old maid anymore. And so I think just like with a lot of these we're developing past them but but do you think just widespread implicitly that people assume there's something wrong with a woman who's 40 and not married i don't know if i'm the right person to answer this because we are in academia and you don't have any friends no because you just watch c-span I'm just kidding. She has lots of friends. My other friends watch C-SPAN too. I think Missy has more friends than me. But so, but I mean, I think some of this is socioeconomic. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Because in academia, there is a prestige almost to putting your career over everything else. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so sometimes people wear it as a badge of honor. Like I have dedicated so much of my life to my career that I mm-hmm. haven't gotten married. Which if that's you, that's wonderful. That's great. And there are other swaths of life where that is just not acceptable. Mm-hmm. I got married when I was 26. Ugh. And to me You've now- You've been married for 10 years? Yeah. You told me that. Yeah. Um, and it feels incredibly young, but I was the oldest person ever in my family to get married. Nobody has ever gotten- The oldest. The oldest. Nobody has ever gotten married that late in life in my family. So it just depends on, like I said, your socioeconomic status and where you're coming from. Yeah. And I mean, your culture and your context. Yes, absolutely. exactly. And I mean, some people graduate from high school and they want to get married. They want to marry the person they dated in high school and they're perfectly happy to do it. I am married to the person I dated in high school. I know that's why you just looked at me. It just took you a really long time to get around to it. Very slow. Uh, but I mean, so if we talk about how media gives us or reinforces or perpetuates these kinds of notions, I think it's still frequently assumed that that a woman would be married by the time she's 40. And then I think it would frequently be assumed that if she weren't, it's because she's a, like a weirdo or divorced or divorced or there's something wrong with her or she's too picky. Part of the assumption used to be that, oh, she's secretly a lesbian. Yes. I don't. I mean, some people still feel uncomfortable coming out. I think maybe that's less so now. It's changing. But I I think people still think there's something wrong with women who aren't married by a certain age. Maybe the certain age is different. Maybe it depends on how many cats they have, too. (laughs) I mean, it's mostly for tax purposes at this point. That's why I got married. I don't know why you got married. I'm not really sure either. Yeah. I mean, I was was young. I was an infant. (laughs) I was very confused. So 
here I want to talk, uh, I think this is maybe our last one. And this is, I think, the most lethal and the most... This is the one that I see still perpetuated. Exactly. This is the one that is still everywhere. And this is what we're going to call a straw feminist or sometimes referred to as the doubly offensive feminazi. So as a historian, please don't call anybody Nazis unless they're a Nazi. Exactly. Please don't. So this is a character who's, I'm going to put feminism in quotation marks here, whose feminism is drawn only for the purpose of proving them wrong, discrediting feminism, or providing comedy. This is a trope that exists both in real life, like in news media, and in fictional media. Maybe I'm not done raging against the machine! Raging against the what? That sounds dangerous. Don't worry. She'll be bad at it. Basically, it is a character who is crafted as an exaggerated, over-the-top, unrealistic, impractical feminist, made to seem within the text... As though that's what a feminist is like. Right. It is used to discredit feminism. Mm -hmm. And it is part of the reason people who believe in equality are afraid to call themselves feminists. Right. It's the F word, right? This is where we get to that. The kinds of feminists that you might see in media who want to suppress men, who want to dominate men, who want to exterminate men, who want to start all female communes, who want to find a way to have babies without the need for men, all those kinds of exaggerated expressions of feminism that aren't used necessarily for satire, but are used to discredit real feminism. And the reason why straw feminism is is an extension of the straw man argument. So this contributes to the fear of being seen this way. And so it causes women to not speak up about actual injustice because they don't want to be seen as over-the-top, crazy, nagging feminists. What movies often create for us when we have admitted feminist characters is like a distorted, warped version of feminism, which is almost completely unrelated to actual women's movements and actual feminism. And so we have a caricature, which is then filled in with a bunch of oversimplification stereotypes. And so we're delegitimizing feminism and women's rights and women's movements because we're making feminism look ridiculous. In the movie Legally Blonde, we have the main character who is navigating this difficult period in her life who is learning that she's much smarter than anyone ever gave her credit for. And so that storyline in and of itself is is kind of great. There's a character named Enid Wexler in this movie. She's a feminist and a lesbian. And she's constantly arguing about the patriarchy. And in one scene, she is arguing that the word semester comes from the word semen. (laughs) Okay. And that we should change it to Ovester. All right, then. This is not an argument that feminists make. No. And so it's an over-the-top representation, and it's meant to delegitimize women's real issues. Well, it's a way to dismiss them without actually having to listen to the argument. I mean, women do have an issue (laughs) with saying mankind sometimes. Why don't we just say human, right? That might be a legitimate thing that women bring up. I have never heard a woman say semester first of all semester doesn't come from the word semen but um that we should start calling things ovesters 
Sometimes people get offended when we want to use the word herstory instead of history, but it's not because we think history comes from the word him. It's just a clever play on words, the same right. way we made the title Profess of our hers. podcast Profess Hers, right? Um, it's a pun. Have you seen the Powerpuff Girls? I have. My daughter watches the Powerpuff Girls. So there's an episode where there's a villain named Femme Fatale, and she brainwashes the Powerpuff Girls. Can't you girls see? The man can't admit we're better than him, so he keeps us down. Okay. I haven't seen that episode. It's very weird. But they, but so then they start seeing everything through this exaggerated, faux, fake feminist perspective as a result of being brainwashed by the femme fatale feminist character. So again... So they've been misled distor- by feminism. Right. Distorting what act feminism actually is to make it look like it's crazy or outlandish. Okay. So another example of this kind of straw feminism is from the show new girl which i watched the first few seasons of but i uh, had to go and watch this particular episode um, in order to talk about it so the character's name is fawn moscato okay that's uh Mm -hmm. it's a lot uh and i think she's like a city councilwoman so she is at first kind of it seems like she's going to be an empowering character and i think maybe she is supposed to be uh, she's very blunt. Uh, she's very in charge of her sexuality. She says to her boyfriend, like, I'll call you when I need you. Like, she is supposed to be kind of a powerful female character. But she's also like an underhanded politician. And so to pair, like, sexual strength and personal strength and powerful position with, oh, but really she's dirty and underhanded. And so then she starts to mentor Zoe De Chanel's character, whose name is Jessica. And she's trying to basically teach Jessica how to be a powerful woman, is what she says. But really, she's giving her lessons on how to manipulate people. For instance, she says, I never wear underwear in networking scenarios. It gives you a secret, an edge. What? Besides, I firmly believe that power emanates from the vagina. So why (laughs) block it? Okay, then. So... It's supposed to be funny. It's supposed to be exaggerated. But at the same time, we have a delegitimized representation of female empowerment or a feminist character. Right. And because there are no genuine representations in any of these shows of well-rounded feminist characters who, just like me or you, for the most part, go through their daily lives living. I mean, we don't see everything on earth Right. Through the lens of patriarchy, we probably could, but we don't. And so because there are no realistic representations, because we either have this cherry picking fallacy happening in, you know, news media or in talk radio or in social commentary, or we have these misrepresentations in fictional media and TV and movies, there are no real valid representations Ex- with a few exceptions. And it's this, it's the same shows that we have been talking about. But the mom on Blackish is a feminist. She talks about it. She discusses it. Leslie Nope, Parks and Rec. Leslie Nope on Parks and Rec uh, is a feminist and she talks about it. So again, we have those shows, but it's not widespread. Right. right. And I mean, the most vicious trope in media about women is that most 
blockbuster movies, if we're not going to go and intentionally find an independent movie or a movie that is known for its good representation, if we're talking about let's just go watch big blockbuster movies, big action movies, those movies don't star women, right? What if they do? People lose their minds. Mission Impossible movies are about a bunch of men. And if they're female characters, they're sex objects, they're girlfriends who... Because they left you or because you can't be with them anymore, that's what's driving your behavior. It's a plot line. It's only very few and very recent that we have female-driven action movies or what people call tentpole movies, like the big blockbuster movies. Mm -hmm. I mean, we just got a Transformers movie with a main character who's a female instead of the Megan Fox character in the booty shorts leaning up against a motorcycle, right? So women being the driving force of a storyline is still relatively uncommon. And I mean, we had The Hunger Games. Yes. Which was amazing. (coughs) I mean, if we looked up what are the top five TV shows right now, look it up. Okay. The most popular TV shows of 2018, according to Nielsen. Are you ready? Yes. So number nine is the show Bull, which is a legal drama. Never heard of it. Okay. It stars Michael Weatherly, and it's inspired by the career of Dr. Phil McGraw. (laughs) There you go. That should be funny. There are female characters on the show, but it's male-led. America's Got Talent is number eight. The Good Doctor, that's stars a young surgeon manifest don't know what that is it's about a flight that crashes and then all the people disappear and then come back to life oh you mean lost (laughs) young sheldon number five young sheldon that's the one you say is a spinoff that's the spinoff of big bang theory so it is uh definitely following a young sheldon cooper as he navigates being the only smart person in a small east texas town this is Us, which is actually a great show in terms of I don't I mean I'm not going to watch it because I don't feel like just like scheduled crying hour, but uh, great in terms of representation. Three is NCIS. Really? NCIS is the number three show of 2018 ensemble show. Of those in the ensemble, I think three of the four are men. I didn't even know it was still on. Big Bang Theory is number two. We've talked about that, so I'm not going to get into it. But again, the storyline is driven by four male characters. All right, so what's number one? It's Roseanne. The reboot. Yes. What about the top five movies? Okay, so number five. This is amazing. Oh, my God. What? Okay, number five is Deadpool 2. Okay. So that's starring Ryan Reynolds. And he's, I mean, this is a very much a woman in a refrigerator plot line. Okay. I mean, I love the movie. It's very funny. Lots of very smart humor. But the plot line is a woman in a refrigerator. Uh, Number four, Jurassic World, Fallen Kingdom. Dinosaurs. Dinosaurs and Chris Pratt. Uh, Number three, Incredibles 2. So that's a family of superheroes. It's pretty good. I actually like that one. Those movies are boring to me. I don't know why. I watched I can't that one on Netflix. It. I can't explain it. Number two is Avengers Infinity War. And number one is Black Panther. And we, we'll we get into those movies and their yes. representation of women in a few episodes. We have a two-episode series on Marvel. But as you can see, not a lot of these are storylines driven by female characters. Women might belong to an ensemble cast. Women might be the second lead who are somehow going to fall into being the love interest, just like in the Jurassic World movies. But 
and in Incredibles, it's a family, so that's an ensemble. Yeah, but that one's a little different because the mom's the one with the job this time, not the dad. That's true. That's true. But there are a lot of jokes about how emasculated he is because he has yes. to take care of children. So good and bad. I think that is the most pernicious, if we want a vocabulary word today, trope in terms of plots and stories is that women are love interests, women are sex objects, women are background characters, women are support staff, women are members of ensembles, women are beta bitches, but women are not driving the plot in serious big time movies. And when women are the centerpiece of the plot, with obvious exceptions like Wonder Woman, they're in movies about wanting to get married. They're in movies about, I mean, they're in romantic comedies, right? right? This In the last year, we had two female reboots, right? Ghostbusters and Ocean's 8, both female ensemble cast, both, if you ask me, great movies. But those are not in the top five. So the most pernicious trope that is continuing to get perpetuated, even though we might get rid of old maids, is we are, it is not commonplace for women to be the driving force in a major movie. So how do we fix the trope thing? I don't know. Well, I'm just I kidding. I have an answer. <laughs> we have to let more diverse populations make movies and TV shows. And when I say let. Let's the answer. I mean, we have to we have to support the the movies and the TV shows that get things right, and we have to be very vocal advocates for changing the dynamic. In, and I'm going to say Hollywood, but really I just mean media production in general. And that includes news media production. That includes movies, TV, everything else. I mean, even honestly, the top five podcasts of the world are all hosted by men, with the exception of Serial, which is hosted by a woman. But it's always about men. I think that in the writer's room is probably the most important place. Yes. Because you can't have a fully developed, nuanced character that is written by somebody who has not lived that life or walked in those shoes. I mean, you can, but it's hard. No, I mean, so tropes are perpetuating these ideas that women are one or the other. Right. right? That women are out to get a husband so they're going to do anything. Or they that, hate all men. Right. So we're going to undermine everyone. We're going to damage people. We're going to fight with our friends. Or we're a crazy feminist or an old maid. Right. You're one or the other. And to assume those kinds of binaries, you have to not understand the nuance behind them. Exactly. So we are, as individual women, far more complicated than a trope. But tropes and cliches are powerful because they're easy. They're easy for storytellers, they're easy for movie makers, and they're easy for audiences to digest. They don't have to absorb backstory. They don't have to think about complex motivations. It's an easy device to tell and absorb a story. And that's why we see them stand in for actual human characters. Well, and especially with movies, because there's a finite amount of time right. that you have an audience to sit there. That's why franchise movies, movies where they have multiple sequels, like what's happening with like Marvel movies or others like that, I mean, that's where it's important because you can build in backstory you right. can have overarching storylines we have to recognize and call it out when we see it because it's not just funny it's not just stupid it is pernicious right it is belittling and undermining women and it is creating and reinforcing these kinds of biases the virgin whore dichotomy old maid or bridezilla you know 
happy housewife or nagging housewife, or I guess you could be the third option, which is gold digger trophy wife, right? All good choices. What they're telling us is there's no good way to be, and there's no complex way to be. They prevent people from advocating for feminism or being activists because we don't want to be seen as a feminazi. Yeah, or crazy. Right? We don't want to we don't want to express our feelings cuz we don't want to be the crazy girl. It's just it it puts women on this very narrow path so that you don't fall into a trope, so that you don't get easily dismissed, so that you don't do something that's perceived as offensive and so that you don't seem like a weirdo. Right. I think What is important is exactly what you said. We have to change the way that we produce media starting at its inception and writing. But as we always do, we want to end on a high note. Yes. So let's talk about some things that are killing tropes. We talked about big love. We talked about some shining examples. But let's talk about shows who just every episode kill tropes. Grace and Frankie. It's on Netflix. Jane Fonda. Lily Tomlin. So both amazing actors. Right. I think both of them were actually in Working Girl. Oh, yeah. Which I think we're talking about in the next episode. But yes. anyway, so, so they're obviously they're older women. Right. Right. They're post-divorce, post-marriage. Their kids are grown. They live together. They have deep fears and loves. They cry. They hide under tables when they get scared. They cannot be easily categorized. And they rely on each other to develop strength. They're very funny. And later in the show, they start their own business, which is a very sex-positive business. I'm not going to tell you what it is. Okay. Orange is the New Black. I watched the first season because it followed the book, and then I stopped watching. So what that show is really great at is it gives complexity to all of the characters. So every episode goes into someone's backstory. Right. And it shows and discusses social patterns, like women of color being disproportionately imprisoned, a lot of women who are imprisoned because of men. There are multiple stories. There's more than one Latina. There's more than one gay character. There's more than one sexual abuse survivor. There's more than one black character. There's more than one, you know, character with mental illness. And so not only do we have representation, but we have that notion, again, where there's more than one way to do something. Right. And that in and of itself is killing a trope. There's a new show that is new this year called The Kids Are All Right. It's set in the 1970s. Okay. And so it's a Catholic couple and they have seven sons. And so it is like a twist or a commentary on the happy housewife idea. The mom seems like she's that type. Like her hair's always done. She cooks all the dinner. She does all the shopping. Um, but she's not a flat character at all. And in, in every episode, there is a she develops in some kind of way. Um, she asks her son's girlfriend to teach her to drive, for instance. Because, is this like regular TV or is this? Yeah, it's like on ABC. Okay. NBC maybe. But like, so, you know, teenagers in the 70s, girls were learning to drive. But when she grew up in the 50s, women didn't learn how to drive. Right. So she's asking her son's girlfriend to teach her to drive, which is great because she's not asking a man to teach her to drive. Right. Parks and Rec, we I talked that. about. Yeah, I love Parks and Rec. But she is a great example of a woman as a boss, she's also like the kindest best friend in the world. She started Galentine's Day in that show. Right. She ran for office in the show. Uh, she went up against like a very popular idiot. And she was a very ethical, kind 
human throughout the whole thing. She didn't end up becoming a manipulative jerk. Right, she doesn't abuse her power. Right. The show The Wire, which was on HBO, had a strong, and when I say strong female character, I don't mean the trope strong female character. I mean a well-drawn, nuanced, full backstory, woman of color. Have you seen the Netflix movie Dumplin'? No. Do you know anything about this movie? Movie? Um, I know there's a book. Didn't we go to a talk about this book? Yeah. I feel like we did. Okay. Yeah. yeah. We went to a reading. The author of this book went to our college. Okay. Julie Murphy. And so she wrote the book Dumplin' and it's a Netflix movie. And there are, it's about teenagers. It's a coming of age kind of story, but there are complex, well-developed female characters and they explore many facets of adolescence represented by different characters. A lot of this storyline has to do with body positivity and physical appearance, which of course as teenagers is a very serious yes. thing. Yes. So we also have, or I do, because Missy doesn't read novels, we also have four novels from you know the last few years uh, written by female authors with female characters. That's The Wife by Meg Wolitzer. It was just made into a movie and that movie was just nominated for several Oscars. That's why that might sound familiar to you. Uh, it's about a woman who finds her voice after being devoted to and supporting her husband for decades. Asymmetry by Lisa Halliday, popular novel from last year. Manhattan Beach by Jennifer Egan. That's actually one of my all-time favorite books. It's about a woman who convinces people to let her do some deep sea diving, like in the big copper helmet in World War One times. Oh, okay. So not like, I was thinking like Beach Beach. Oh, no. Manhattan, no. Uh, and then Burning Girl by Claire Massoud, and that's about female friendships and growing up. So that's a literary take on a female coming of age story. So those are just four books that I personally have recently read by female authors with female characters that are destroying tropes. Obviously, there are more. It's as you said, it's a lot easier in a book because you can build more backstory right. and build more complex characters, and your audience than will you sit can, there for longer, right? Than you can do in a movie uh, as easily. So. She's just a girl and she's on fire Hotter than a fantasy Lonely like a highway She's living in a world and it's on fire Hey Misty, what's next in your lady life? So next week I am presenting on immigration and a polarization in the American culture for a conference. So that's super exciting for me. I'm glad it's exciting for someone. Me and the five people that'll be in the audience. Whew. All right. Allegra, what's next in your lady life? Um, I am doing a webinar for our students about dispelling conspiracy theories and evaluating information. Uh, but our, my topic next week is the flat earth. Well, how the earth is flat? No. <laughs> no, the earth is not flat. It's very important that I say that. It's about flat earth conspiracy theories and moon landing conspiracy theories. So I'm doing some research on that to prepare for the webinar. That's exciting. I yeah. think I'm hosting that one. I think so. Looks like a girl, but she's a flame. So bright she can burn your eyes. Better look the other way. Like a small boat on the ocean, sending big waves into motion. Thank you for listening to this episode of Professors, our podcast about seeing movies, culture, and history through our lady eyes. 
I'm Misty, and I'm the smart kid in class that doesn't need a makeover montage. And I'm Allegra, a reformed old maid, apparently. We'd love to hear from you what you thought about today's episode, what you'd like us to discuss in future episodes, or how great you think we are. Which is pretty great. To connect with us, you can follow us on Twitter at ProfessHers, P-R-O-F-E-S-S-H-E-R-S, or by email at ProfessHers at gmail.com. Thank you to everyone who has been listening, commenting, liking, and reviewing our podcast. Please keep doing all those things, and we hope you recommend our podcast to a friend. And remember, a real woman is whatever the hell she wants to be.